Hello, and welcome to the latest DSA Beechcroft Lawcast. My name is Emma Fuller, and I'm Head of Motor and Casualty Market Strategy for the Claim Solutions Group of DAC Beechcroft. In this series, Helen Mason, who is Head of Vehicle Hire and Damage, is joined by a number of colleagues to discuss the latest hot topics from our recent Credit Hire annual workshop. Welcome to our DAC Beechcroft Credit Hire podcast mini-series. I'm Helen Mason, Head of Credit Hire, and today I'm joined by Kelly Sutherland, Associate and Credit Hire Lead for Scotland, and Michael McLarnan, Associate and Credit Hire Lead for Northern Ireland. We've got four editions of our podcast coming out over the next few weeks, covering all the latest hot topics from our recent Credit Hire annual workshop, and this is our second. Now, prior to our workshop, we asked what was keeping our clients up at night, and they said electric vehicles and intervention strategy, the implementation of fixed recoverable costs, Celtic claims, patch strategies, and green parts and repair strategy. So as I said, in the second edition, we're going to be focusing on Celtic claims. So let's get into the detail and perhaps start with a focus on Scotland. So Kelly, what's going on north of the border? Yep, so the most significant update that Scotland's had in recent times is that Quarks is now in effect. So Quarks came into effect from June 2021 and applied to all cases raised from the 30th of June 21 that contained an element of personal injury. Now, initially when the rules were brought into effect, there was only three exceptions to where Quarks could be disapplied, which naturally put defenders at a disadvantage. Okay, so what were the exceptions? So the first three exceptions were where the pursuer fails to obtain an award of damages which is greater than the sum offered by way of tender or where there's been an unreasonable delay by the pursuer in accepting a tender or where the pursuer seeks to abandon the action by way of decree of dismissal or decree of absolvitor in favour of the defender or in sheriff court cases where the defender is granted summary decree of absolvitor or dismissal against the pursuer. Now, something tells me you're going to add there's been additional changes and amendments to this legislation. Am I right? Yep, there has been. So there's now um, further updates to the legislation, which allows for further exceptions where the defender can move the court to disapply quarks. And these would be where a pursuer has made a fraudulent representation or otherwise acted fraudulently throughout the course of the action where a pursuer has behaved in a manner which is deemed to be manifestly unreasonable in connection with the action, or where the pursuer's behaviour throughout the action amounts to an abusive process. Now, the test for this would be based on the balance of probabilities and is at the sheriff's discretion. Okay, right. Well, I think I've got my head around that just about. Um, Are there any restrictions to this? Yes. So there's a cap on the award of expenses that can be made against the pursuer. And the cap would be the pursuer's liability to the expenses to the defender can't exceed the amount of expenses the defender has incurred from the date that the tender was lodged. Now, that one's quite self-explanatory. And the second one would be the pursuer's liability is capped at 75% of the damages awarded to the pursuer. So, for example, if the defender lodged a tender in the sum of £5,000 and this wasn't beaten, 
and quarks was disapplied, our expenses would automatically be capped at £3,750, regardless as to whether the expenses incurred were higher. And then the last cap would be where there is more than one defender, the court will apportion the expenses recoverable against the pursuer between them if no agreement is reached between each of the defenders. I would probably add at this point as well that fundamental dishonesty isn't in place in Scotland. So regardless as to whether um, Quox is disapplied, you wouldn't get a fundamental dishonesty finding against a pursuer. So what does all this mean in practice? And do we have any reported cases yet? Yep, there's two reported cases now. Um, Both of them were in 2022. So the first one is Lennox against Iceland Foods Limited. And the second one is Gilchrist versus Police Scotland. Um, Now, both were unfortunately unsuccessful in having quarks disapplied. But now that we've seen the first couple of cases being run, it is likely that we'll continue to see more um, quarks arguments being advanced going forward. So what can insurers do to protect themselves going forwards? Well, I think what you'll see is an increase in damage claims being raised with a small element of personal injury to afford the pursuer that cost protection. Now, CPAP is still in place to provide some premature litigation protection. But in terms of what insurers can do to protect themselves, I would say pick your battles particularly if you have a low-value personal injury claim, which you know has a high-value damage or credit hire claim in the background, you might be better off at that point taking a view on the personal injury element, if possible, to ensure that the pursuer doesn't have quotes protection at the litigation stage. I would also say front-load your investigations pre-litigation particularly if you have fraud concerns. Try and get those intel reports early um, and also utilising your panel solicitors early. Um, Bringing panel into the action sooner rather than later can ensure that the case is teed up perfectly for when litigation does commence. Um, Knowing your opponent is also key. You'll pick up the patterns of certain solicitors firms and certain credit hire organisations and you'll be able to tailor your strategy to the patterns that you're seeing. And then also early tenders. Now tendering early is always the best tactic regardless of quarks due to the expenses implications involved but ideally having the best offer made pre-litigation so by the time it goes to panel they can simply tender your offer and sit on it. This puts pressure on the pursuer to act reasonably throughout the course of the case given the implications of expenses being awarded against them. Thanks Kelly, some top tips there. Is there anything else going on that we should know about in Scotland? Well, there has been a recent update in terms of the simple procedure rules, which came into effect from the 31st of May um, this year, and it will have an effect on insurers. um, But we're planning and doing an alert over the next couple of weeks on that. So please look out for that. So, yeah, watch this space. So I think we've covered Scotland. um, But Michael, what's, what's new in Northern Ireland? Hi, Helen. The most significant and exciting development in Northern Ireland has been the introduction of a new pre-action protocol for all county court actions involving road traffic, damage only and personal injury claims. 
the protocol came into effect on the 6th of February 2023 and for the first time in our region specified the exact information and documents that should be disclosed in credit hire and vehicle damage only cases. The benefit of this, we hope, is that it will allow more claims to be settled fairly without the need for litigation. So how did these changes come about and what types of cases does it actually apply to? The protocol was drafted and agreed by both plaintiff and defendant representatives of the Shadow Civil Justice Council Committees and Civil Justice Advisory Board. Alison Cassidy, partner in our Belfast office, sat on the drafting committee. The protocol applies to the County Court of Northern Ireland, which deals with claims below a value of £30,000. So what are the implications then for credit hire claims? The protocol, unlike the previous version from 2013, contains provisions which are specifically aimed at improving the exchange of both information and documentation for credit hire and vehicle damage only claims. These are really positive changes which should be welcomed by insurers and plaintiff firms alike. It has been agreed by both sides and with more information exchanged at the outset, it should lead to an opportunity to have claims resolved a lot earlier. Or if litigation does become necessary, it should proceed more efficiently as a lot more of the information needed to consider a claim should have been disclosed at an earlier stage in the process. So then, how does this new protocol actually work in practice? The protocol, like the previous version which clients will be familiar with, sets out a process for both parties to follow when conducting a case at the pre-action stage. At the outset, the plaintiff's solicitor should send to the defendant insurers or the representatives a letter of claim. On receipt of the letter of claim, the defendant has 21 days to acknowledge receipt. It is really important to take this initial step, as otherwise the plaintiff's solicitors can litigate. Once a claim is acknowledged in credit hire and vehicle damage only cases, a defendant has two months to investigate and determine liability, or three months if the claim includes personal injury. If the defendant resides outside Northern Ireland, the investigation period is extended by four months for damage only claims and six months for personal injury cases. Before the end of the applicable investigation period, if liability is denied, the defendant should reply by setting out their position in sufficient detail so the plaintiff is aware of the defence being made. The denial where relevant should comment on any causation issues, fraud, and if an indemnity is being sought from another defendant. The defendant, if liability is denied, should also provide any relevant disclosure. Where liability is admitted, the defendant will be bound by it unless evidence of fraud comes to light at a later stage. Once liability is admitted, the protocol sets out the information and documentation the plaintiff's solicitor should then provide in order for an offer to be made before litigation. Thanks, Michael. Um, could you outline what specific changes have been made to the pre-action process in terms of credit hire claims? Yes, the credit hire changes are really significant as specific provisions for these types of claims have been built into the key stages of the process I have just outlined. Firstly, the protocol sets out what should be detailed in the letter of claim when the case involves credit hire. It should provide information such as the details of the head of claim, the plaintiff's impecuniosity position, confirmation as to whether the damaged vehicle is roadworthy or drivable, and the plaintiff's occupation if relevant for example, if the plaintiff uses their vehicle as a taxi or primarily for business purposes. Where liability is denied, the information exchange stops there. But if liability is admitted, the protocol sets out in detail the information and documentation the plaintiff should provide in order for insurers to make an informed offer. 
The vehicle is a total loss. The plaintiff should provide information such as a copy of the engineer's report, which should include the date the engineer was notified of the accident, the date they inspected, and the date the report was completed. They should also provide the date the PAV payment was received by the plaintiff or their representative. When a vehicle has been repaired, the plaintiff should provide the repair invoice, a copy of any damage images, a copy of the engineer's report, which again should include the date the plaintiff's engineer was instructed, the date they inspected, and the date they completed the report. They should also provide the hourly labour rate charged on repairs. If hire is claimed, the plaintiff's solicitor should provide all invoices and signed agreements, confirm if the plaintiff held any penalty points at the time of hire, confirm if they needed to potentially travel outside of Northern Ireland and into the Republic of Ireland. If the vehicle has been repaired, the plaintiff should confirm the date on which they collected their vehicle if this is not the same date as hire ended. If the vehicle was required for other purposes such as taxing and the details of any additional drivers and their relationship to the plaintiff. Finally, if the plaintiff is relying on impecuniosity, their solicitor should provide information to vouch for that, such as three months of bank statements, or if the plaintiff's earnings are not paid into a bank account, then three months' pay slips can also be provided. These are just some of the examples of the information set out under the protocol that should be provided where applicable to the particular case. The full list of information set out under the protocol is really quite comprehensive and should provide insurers with sufficient information to make an informed offer. So how can insurers get the best outcomes as a result of these changes? Clients should really familiarise themselves with the protocol and follow the processes set out to achieve the best results. All of our clients' pre-action processes should be updated to follow the new protocol. As outlined, it is important to acknowledge the claim within 21 days and stick to the investigation period. If liability is then admitted, the plaintiff's solicitors are then obliged to provide all of the information I have set out which is specific to credit hire claims to make an informed offer. If information is missing from either the letter of claim or in the disclosure provided after admitting liability, clients should then request information outstanding as per the relevant sections of the protocol. Once all of the information set out under the protocol has been provided by the plaintiff's solicitors, insurers should then make an offer as soon as possible. The protocol is ultimately aimed at enabling the parties to have sufficient information where appropriate to settle claims without litigation. There is potentially a lot to be gained from the changes that have been made. We have pre-action teams in Northern Ireland office who have been dealing with claims on the new protocol since it came into effect, and we have tailored how we manage cases to implement the specific changes made for credit hire claims. The protocol is a significant and welcome change for credit hire claims in Northern Ireland, so we'd really encourage clients to get in touch with our pre-action teams on how best to adapt and achieve the best outcomes. Thanks, Michael. So that brings our second edition, focusing on Celtic claims to an end. And hopefully you can join me next week while I'll be with James Keogh looking at pre-action disclosure strategies.